Welcome to Markets Plus, where leading experts from across BMO discuss factors shaping the markets, economy, industry sectors, and much more. Visit bmocm.com slash markets plus for more episodes. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Hello, everyone. My name is Caroline Dubu. I'm Head of Wealth Planning and Advisory Services for BMO Private Wealth, and I'll be your host for today's virtual session on the 2023 Canadian Federal Budget. As we gather here today, I acknowledge that I'm greeting you from Toronto and that this land has, for many millennia, been the traditional territory of Indigenous nations, including the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabek, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit. Our teams across North America today are on the traditional territories of many Indigenous nations. We honour and recognize the First Peoples of our territories and the ongoing contributions of First Nations, Inuit and Métis people to the vibrancy of our communities today. On behalf of your BMO Relationship Manager, thank you for taking the time to join us today. So yesterday, Finance Minister Christy Freeland tabled the federal government's budget, and today I'm pleased to be joined by BMO's Chief Economist, Doug Porter, for his take on how the elements of this year's budget may affect the economic outlook for the next 12 months. And uh, BMO Private Wealth's Vice President and Director of Tax Consulting Services, John Waters. John is going to share his insights on the most uh, significant personal and small business income tax measures uh, announced yesterday in the budget. We have received uh, a number of questions uh, from many of you in advance of the presentation through the registration site. Um, and so many of those questions, they're going to be answered during uh, both Doug and John's presentation. Uh, but if you have additional questions for uh, either Doug or John, uh, please enter them in the chat box on your screen. And we're going to address as many as we can. Uh, we've left plenty of time for a Q&A session following uh, their formal remarks. Uh, Doug and John have both published uh, full reports with their insights on the budget, and um, they're going to be shared following this event. Doug's report can also be found on the BMO Economics uh, website, and John's can be found on our Private Wealth Insights Hub. So Doug and John, thank you for being uh, with us today. Um, Doug, why don't we get started with you for your uh, your take on uh, this year's budget? Sure thing, Caroline, and thank you very much. And good morning, everyone. I'd just like to echo Caroline and uh, thanking you for uh, joining us uh, today for this uh, post-budget analysis. I have to say I've been uh, covering budgets for well, a little bit more than 30 years now, and this I would probably rank this in the uh, the, the bottom 10 in terms of market moving or importance. Um, it, there, there wasn't a whole lot in this budget versus uh, some others, but that's not to say uh, that, it, that it wasn't important in its own right. And there, there were a few key, uh, key measures. I guess the, the three things that really stood out to me the most uh, first of all, was the definitely the focus on on green energy, some of the subsidies and and the tax credits there. Uh, second of all, and and this really was uh, news before the budget was the uh, the extra funds put aside for healthcare spending. I, I suspect that's a theme we're going to hear time and time again in in the years ahead. This is certainly not the end of that story, um, but there was an important element added on that front. And the the third. Uh, thing I was looking at and would highlight was uh, just some of the uh, the focus on uh, on affordability um, and some of the uh, the measures to try to help Canadians with the very high levels of inflation. And the highlight move there was the so-called grocery rebate, uh, which was really just an enhancement of the, uh, the, the GST tax credit and really had nothing to do with uh, groceries uh, per se. 
Um, I would I would say standing back and looking at it uh, from an economist standpoint, I would say, given the that the fact that inflation is still, I would say, public enemy number one uh, from an economic perspective, I would I would have to characterize this budget as as a little bit light on that that front, and I wonder about the thrust of it. You know, the fact that on balance we did see net new spending, net new stimulative measures, and very little uh, to help Canadians deal with the the relatively high inflation. I'd, I'd have to characterize it as a, as a little bit of an economic disappointment in the fact that we did see this net new spending at a time when monetary policy makers are, are trying to restrain the economy, trying to bring in inflation. And instead, we actually get an, an upgrade in terms of the size of the deficit. For instance, as recently as the fall economic statement, which was just late last year, uh, you know, it was looking like the uh, the budget deficit was going to come in a little bit less than forty billion dollars for the uh, the current fiscal year, and then moderate to thirty billion dollars for the fiscal year that's about to begin on April the first. Instead, for a variety of reasons, partly economic and partly because of some of the new measures that we saw in yesterday's effort, we're now looking at a budget deficit of forty three billion dollars for uh, for the current fiscal year and about forty billion dollars. Uh, for for the coming year, not not a huge deal, but on balance, a bit of a deterioration, a bit of a step in the wrong direction, and what that tends to do is it actually means that the government's own fiscal anchor, which they've been focusing on the uh, the, the debt GDP ratio, is actually going to rise in the year ahead. So by their own benchmark, we're actually seeing a deterioration in the in the fiscal landscape over over the next year. Again, I would characterize that as a little bit of a disappointment, given the fact that we're essentially operating with an economy at full employment. You know, I've never seen the job market as tight or as healthy as what we're dealing with right now. The unemployment rate's only 5%. And at a time when, you know, the as I said, the, the you know, the number one uh, economic concern here is the level of inflation, you know, to be seeing the the deficit, you know, Come in on on the high side and seeing the debt GDP rising, I'd I'd have to characterize that as a little bit of a misstep. Um, in terms of the net new fiscal measures, we calculate that there were a couple tenths of a percent of GDP, not not a huge move by any means. But when you add in the uh, you know the grocery rebate, which uh, they put into the the prior fiscal year, and some of the steps that the provinces have taken. Uh, we calculate that the overall net fiscal impulse, as we like to call it, from all the budgets taken together, uh, equals about a half a percent of GDP. It's not a huge move, but again, at a time when you know other policymakers are actually trying to restrain inflation, it's sort of acting at cross purposes of what monetary policy has tried to do over the past year. Now let's let's turn a little bit to you know what this might mean for the uh, for the economic outlook and uh, you know where we stand now, given. You know some of the banking sector stress that we've seen over over the past year. As I said, when uh, when we look at the net fiscal impulse, it adds a little bit to growth, uh, but overall we're looking at an economy that's likely to grow by a little bit less than one percent this year. That's a that's quite a soft performance for for the economy. Uh, many analysts, such as ourselves, have been calling for at least a mild contr- contraction in the uh, in the North American economy over the next couple quarters. Uh, we're sticking to that view, but there's no question that the economy started the year with more momentum than many of us were expecting. Uh, so we're still relatively comfortable looking for growth of between a half to one percent this year, which again is is a below average performance. It's it's one of the softer uh, years that we've seen for the uh, the economy in the last twenty years, um, and and uh, definitely a big step down from uh, from growth of over three percent that we saw last year. I will will say though that the uh, uh, the budget is actually based on an even more conservative or cautious assumption for uh, for the economy in the year ahead. It's based on uh, a private sector consensus that was put together about a month ago or so. 
And uh, that consensus was only looking for three-tenths of a percent of growth this year, which is even lower than what we're, we're expecting. So I certainly wouldn't uh, tell you that this budget is, uh, is based on overly rosy economic assumptions. I, I, would, I would assert, if anything, quite, uh, quite the opposite. Um, the, I, I guess in terms of what this means for interest rates, is I, I don't think it really uh, affects the, uh, the interest rate outlook in, in a meaningful fashion one way or t'other. Um, of course, one of the big economic stories of, of the past month has, has been the uh, the banking sector stress that we saw really first begin uh, with the California Bank in Silicon Valley and then spread out to uh, to Europe. Um, the the biggest market impact from uh, from that stress is we've seen a significant change in what financial markets are building in for future central bank rate hikes over over the next year. Um, despite that, we still saw the Federal Reserve raise interest rates last week. We saw the Bank of England, the Swiss National Bank, and the European Central Bank in recent weeks, even in the midst of that banking sector stress, still go ahead and raise interest rates. The Bank of Canada, uh, became, however, became the first major central bank to hit the pause button about a month ago. And we think that they're going to stay on pause through the rest of this, uh, this year. Uh, the budget does not change that. Um, at the margin, the banking sector stress puts a little bit of um, – raises the uh, the chances of the bank at some point cutting interest rates later this year. But our official call is that we think the Bank of Canada is done raising rates. We don't think the budget changes that. Uh, and we expect the bank, in fact, to stay on hold through the rest of this year and then begin trimming interest rates in 2024. That's provided that inflation does continue to come down. I have to say, uh, inflation actually has been a little bit lower than we would have expected in recent months. The uh, the pullback in energy prices will probably grease the wheels a little bit further in the months ahead. Uh, we still think that the bank will not be comfortable until around the turn of the year, though, with the inflation outlook uh, before they begin to uh, to cut rates at, uh, at that time. Uh, the last thing I'll end on is uh, just uh, the Canadian dollar. Um, and what the budget might mean for the Canadian dollar, and what that make a canned outlook might mean uh, for uh, for for the currency. Uh, we actually did see the Canadian dollar come under a little bit of stress uh, up until about a month ago. And some of that was on the view that the Bank of Canada was indeed moving to the sidelines at a time when, you know, other central banks, especially the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, was still raising interest rates. It's interesting that the banking sector stress has actually helped the Canadian dollar a little bit on that just because it's taken some of the more aggressive views on the U.S. Central Bank out. In other words, it's sort of capped uh, the amount that the U.S. Central Bank will be raising interest rates. And the net effect of that has actually been to somewhat support the Canadian dollar. When we look ahead over the next 12 to 18 months, our underlying view is that the Canadian dollar is more likely to strengthen than weaken, especially when the end of Fed rate hikes come into view, which we think is fairly soon on the horizon. We think that the U.S. dollar more broadly will lose a little bit of altitude. And as a result of that, the Canadian dollar is likely to strengthen on, on balance. And we, you know, effectively, we don't think that yesterday's budget uh, really alters the uh, the course for uh, for the central bank. Um that's it for for a very big picture look. I'll uh, join you again for questions after we hear from John. But first, I'll turn it back to Caroline. Thank you very much. Terrific. Thanks, Doug. So it sounds like we shouldn't expect any big market uh, impact or change in any of your projections based on this budget. 
No, and in fact, the, uh, the the market response in the in the last uh, the last twelve hours or so has been very very muted. And and by the way, that that tends to be fairly typical these days. I can recall a time in the nineteen nineties when the you know the Canadian dollar and interest rates could move very violently in the wake of uh, of a of a, a budget from Ottawa. But uh, you know the the, the markets, uh, you know certainly they pay attention, mm-hmm. um, but we really saw next to no market reaction based on on this budget. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. We'll come back to you. And and now what I'll do is I'll turn it over to uh, John Waters, our head of tax consulting services here at uh, BMO Private Wealth. So, John, what's what's your take from a personal tax uh, and small business perspective? Yeah, I guess it would be somewhat similar to Doug in terms of nothing huge to write home about, although there's definitely some significant changes that will impact uh, high net worth Canadian individuals as well as uh, Canadian private businesses. Um <clears throat> Similar to to last year, uh, th- there were no uh, changes in the capital gains inclusion rate. I know that that's a perennial rumor. Um, nothing on that front specifically this year. No broad-based personal or corporate tax rate changes or uh, changes to tax brackets. Uh, I would say that most of the income tax changes uh, that were proposed yesterday uh, were expected or telegraphed in recent weeks. And uh, many of these related to the Liberal election platform or filling in some of the details on some outstanding measures that had been previously announced. Uh, the main themes, as Doug had outlined, uh, you know, targeted inflation relief, um, public health care, including dental incentives for the, the candidate's clean economy. But in terms of individuals, I, I would say, as in prior budgets, somewhat of a, a Robin Hood theme. Uh, in that uh, higher taxes on the wealthy, in this case, in the form of a broader alternative minimum tax, which I'll I'll talk about a bit more in a second, and the grocery rebate um, to to 11 million lower modest income Canadians, uh, one-time payment through the GST uh, credit later this year. Uh, Some positive tweaks, uh, slight tweaks to some registered plans, uh, some integrity measures as, as in prior budgets specifically related this year to the general anti-avoidance rule to uh, to uh, strengthen it and modernize it. But uh, the main personal tax change that I would say is related to alternative minimum tax. So no surprises here. We knew something was coming. This was uh, first announced in the Liberal election platform in 2021. And last year's budget in, uh, announced the government's intention to examine a new minimum tax regime. They were highlighting last year that about 28% of individuals with gross income in excess of 400,000 in 2019 paid less, uh, paid less than 15% of federal tax. So a bit of background on the alternative minimum tax calculation. This has been with us since 1986. It's a separate calculation that theoretically would happen for all tax filers. And it starts with uh, your regular taxable income as calculated and adds back certain tax preference items, things like capital gains exemptions, flow through share deductions, things like that to your regular taxable income and comes up with an adjusted amount to which a 15% flat federal tax rate is applied. And to the extent that that minimum amount is in excess of your regular tax otherwise calculated, you would pay that higher uh, minimum amount, so the higher of the two, but you have the ability within seven years to to carry that uh, minimum tax forward to to reduce future taxes to the extent that your um, regular tax exceeds that minimum tax in future years. So, what was proposed in the budget this year is to broaden that minimum tax base 
uh, to include, say, for example, a full 100% amount of capital gains instead of the obviously 50 for regular income tax purposes and what was previously 80% under this regime. It's also further limiting some tax preference items, so deductions or credits, uh, disallowing um, many common, 50% of many common expenses for the purpose of this alternative minimum tax calculation, and uh, 50% for most credits. So things like uh, interest costs or, or charitable donations would stand out. It's also increasing the tax rate, uh, that flat 15% to uh, 20.5, which parallels the, the tax brackets. Uh, but notably, it's increasing the exemption amount from $40,000 flat amount to approximately $173,000. Uh, and this uh, takes, is scheduled to take place in 2024. So the purpose of that is to exclude most Canadians and really focus in on um, the very wealthy. And uh, even the government documents say that uh, it's expected to generate about $3 billion uh, of tax revenue over the next five years and that 99% of that uh, revenue will be from individuals earning greater than 300,000, and 80% um, of that will be from individuals owning, uh, oh, sorry, earning greater than a million. So what does that mean? Well, I, I think that this is all, as I say, been around for many years, and this is always a consideration for high-income individuals that have significant deductions or credits to reduce their tax bill substantially. And it's more of the same and probably, um, you know, uh, affecting more people and affecting them more severely. So just to be aware, if you've got high income, particularly things like dividends or capital gains, and you're claiming significant credits uh, or deductions that you may be caught under this regime, a lot of it will be, you know, meeting with your accountant, doing some calculations to figure out the impact. Uh, but just to have that awareness, uh, particularly around capital gains income. Um, and around some common deductions like interest or loss carry forwards and even donations, especially uh, uh, donations of appreciated capital property in terms of the double whammy of uh, changes to the um, alternative minimum tax calculations for donations and for, for capital gains. So obviously it's not going to affect everyone. Uh, you've got the ability to carry forward for seven years. Um, but there may be some changes in tax behavior and looking at things like um, using a corporation to earn investment income, as an example. Um, just briefly, I, I want to highlight a couple of key themes for private corporations. Uh, there's a couple of key changes there. The first one relates to uh, employee ownership trusts. <clears throat> now, this is a positive development. And again, telegraphed and expected, uh, but glad, glad to see it in this year's budget. Uh, so the idea here is that, that the government is introducing a new trust structure into the tax legislation that will facilitate employee ownership of private businesses. And the goal here is, of course, to increase uh, or encourage employee participation and engagement, incentives, that sort of thing, but also to provide another exit option for business owners when they're looking to exit their business versus maybe selling to a competitor or, or um um, to the U.S. and maybe have that business being shut down or uh, stripped the assets stripped out. So similar to what's happening, what's been happening for many years in the U.S. and U.K. Uh, that's been uh, employee ownership trust in 
quite popular there. Um, the concept here is that the trust would take on the debt to purchase the company and the loan would be repaid from future company profits uh, so that employees participating would have a minimal upfront cash payment to, to benefit uh, with the growth down the road. So the budget introduces some new rules to uh, define the qualifying conditions uh, to set up this structure and uh, propose some changes uh, to the tax legislation that would otherwise maybe impede uh, the usefulness of the structure. So things like a capital gains reserve, extending that from five to 10 years and uh, exempting these trusts from the 21 year rule that would otherwise apply to trust to, to recognize the longer time frame of, of these strategies. So certainly more to come on this. It's an important uh, positive development um, and expected to be in place for 2024, but uh, certainly more details uh, forthcoming. And the final point here that I wanted to mention also related to private corporations uh, has to deal with uh, intergenerational share transfers. Uh, so this one, a less positive mood move, uh, but again, something uh, completely expected and uh, we're, we've been waiting, I guess, for the last couple of years to see some changes here. Uh, by way of background, um, the tax legislation has historically um, been uh, unfair, I would say, to um, family members purchasing a, a business uh, from, from the previous generation's parents, that sort of thing. Uh, previously, the tax legislation on a, a sale or transfer uh, to a non-arm's length person, so another family member, there are certain anti-avoidance or surplus stripping rules that would often convert what would otherwise be a capital gain on a sale to a third party to a taxable dividend on the sale to a related party, uh, particularly when um, the, the sale or transfer involved a, um, a corporation and, and the, the funds uh, within the, the company being purchased would be used to finance that buyout. Uh, so what that means is uh, higher tax rates and no ability to access the capital gains exemption. So certainly not a great result. Uh, a couple of years ago, there's a private members bill called Bill C-208 that made it all, all the way through royal assent and uh, sought to uh, rectify this inconsistency and level the playing field. Uh, but we know when that came out that the government did not like certain elements of that and indicated it at that time and, and said uh, that they were going to make some changes uh, in the future to clarify that these, uh, these uh, rules that um, would level the playing field would only be available in situations that constitute a genuine intergenerational transfer. So we've got some more clarity from the budget as to what exactly that means. And it's basically requiring a greater involvement of children in the running and, and um, growth of the business and a gradual reduction over time and withdrawal of the parent in the activity and their ownership value in that uh, family business. And they, the budget specifically outlined two mechanisms that that might happen in the form of an immediate sale. Uh, so for up to a three year period or in the form of an estate freeze scenario to take place over a five or 10 year period and provided some specifics around uh, the requirements in terms of the timing of, uh, you know, the gradual withdrawal of the parent and the increasing involvement of the child. So that's certainly uh, some big changes there for business owners. Uh, a few other smaller things uh, around uh, lower credit card fees and some ITCs uh, for green economy um, and a forthcoming review of research and development, um, but those are the, the main factors uh, for individuals in private corporations.
Thanks so much for that, John. And I uh, listened, Doug and John, thank you so much again for um, uh, sharing your expertise and your insights on yesterday's budget. And um, as a reminder to everybody, we've, we do have uh, Doug and John's uh, publications that will be shared right after this, but uh, they're accessible on the BMO Economics uh, website as well as the Private Wealth uh, Hub as well. So you can uh, get them there. But uh, I want to thank all of our clients for taking the time to join us today. Uh, and I hope you found this discussion to be uh, insightful and informative. Um, if you had a question that we did not get to, please let your uh, relationship manager, your BMO professional know, um, and we will uh, 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 for sure get, get you an answer, and I'm sure you'll find it in, in both John and Doug's publications. So thank you very much, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more episodes, visit bmocm.com slash markets plus. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.